You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas that are shaping our patterns of consumption for the better. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Casper Capetti, welcome to the show. Hi, Stefan. Look forward to this conversation. I was hanging out with my dog this morning, and he was running around, and it made me think about your company on. And it got me thinking about a question, which is like, what animals out there just run for fun? <laughs> so I'm like searching on Google this morning. Is it just humans and, and, and dogs? But I, apparently they did this study where they found that if they put like a, you know, like a mouse wheel in nature, that they find some mice and some frogs would just like go in it and start running <laughs> in there. I don't know if you came across this at all, but I thought it was an interesting thing. Like why... Why do people run? I think it's just it's just in the nature, um, but you know you'll never guess. Uh, my my co-founder Olivier, who's a really really good runner, his theory um, of you know what an efficient run would look like. He also has an animal that he he likes he likes to mm. to 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 basically use as the role model for all runners. You know which which animal it is? Oh my gosh! Uh, no, I don't know why the f- the first thing that came to mind was like a fox or a wolf or something like that. Yeah, or people go like a cheetah, you know, something that's really fast. Yeah. No, it's the rhino. Okay. Why is that? You know, the le- the, the 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 last thing you'll ever think of the rhino because basically, you know, efficient running means you're putting your body weight forward, so you're almost mm-hmm. falling forward, and then your legs just catch catch up. That's how how you run efficiently. A cheetah runs very fast, but she can only run a couple hundred meters and then she's exhausted. Right. So I, I need to like look at, um, do, do you know who Edward Moybridge is? Have you ever heard of that I do guy? not, no. <laughs> you, I'm sure if you saw the images, you would know. It's like he was an early, one of the first filmmakers of all time and he would take these images showing like how animals and people run and he was actually the first person to discover that a horse has like all four feet uh, up in the air at one point in its stride. I think I've seen that. Because they yeah. were able to, sh- yeah. So you've probably seen like old black and white images of, of horses running. And I feel like I need to see that for a rhino. I, I wonder if <laughs> Edward Moybridge ever got to the rhino running. Because I'm not sure if I under- if I have an idea of what it looks like when a rhino is running. Apparently they're really fast and super efficient. I think you're going off on a tangent here. <laughs> I don't know. This is this is this is what I'm interested in. So your company on is uh, you're, you're founded in, in in Switzerland in 2010. Um, I think people here in the U.S. Um, have have started to hear about you. You've been growing a lot. How do you describe on these days? Yeah, so it's a little bit of a of a, of a phenomenon, you know that. Uh, you know, we we started with this reinvention of, of a running technology. Basically, we, we invented a cushioning system that keeps you away from injury. And my co-founder, Olivier, then myself, we, we literally just used these prototypes for our, our own purposes. Um, Olivier was a, was a very um, successful Ironman. He, he was one of the fastest people who still is today in, uh, in Hawaii, 241 marathon in the Ironman. I was a snowboarder and, and I hated running, um, but I had to do it for my training but I always had this, this excruciating pain in my in my knee. So with this technology, both him could train more and, and be less injured. I could run it all um, without pain. And so we made these shoes for ourselves. Um, and, and at some point, there were enough friends around us that wanted to 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 try these shoes, and we basically had run out of prototypes. We were, were facing the decision: Do we want to continue running in this technology? Then we have to found a company, or 
do we just stop for myself? I would have just stopped running and done something else. So, you know, basically we said, okay, let's, 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 let's try and let's, um, let's, let's found the company. And before we knew it, it, it really it caught on because one, one of, one of the things that, that the technology has, it, it's really addictive. Once you've run in it, it's really hard to go back to something else. Um, and it's also contagious and it's contagious because the technology is visible and it, it, it almost alters your running style. Um, so, um, you know, it started popping up in races. And before we knew it, um, actually, the first year we started, 2010, uh, we already shipped to, to eight countries, which, by the way, if you ever start a company, don't start shipping to eight countries because it, it, it's so complex. You have, um, obviously, shipping, you have uh, customs, you have VAT, you have all these, um, these legal systems that, that get in the way. Today, we, we, we on this present in about 50 countries around the world. Um, and it's really spread um, uh, around the globe. Um, of course, you mentioned the, 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 the U.S. runners. The U.S. is by far Ons biggest market. Uh, and we probably have five, five million people in the U.S. in Ons. That's incredible. Yeah, I haven't tried them myself, but I was just, uh, my neighbor has a pair and I need to try them on. So <laughs> I've been running mostly with like more barefoot type of shoes uh, lately. I've been using these like Vibram, like New Balance shoes, but I, I'm interested in, I've been doing a little bit more on, on roads now and it's like not as, I've also run like completely barefoot, but I haven't gone down the, the on uh experiment yet i'd like to try it out and see what you're talking about you know who's uh who's also an ons tell me your new first lady dr biden oh really <laughs> uh, yeah she actually um you know in the in the video that announced uh, basically that they show that the uh, co- uh, democratic congress um uh, convention the first thing you see she ties up a pair of ons and then uh actually yesterday morning when when the, the dog moved into the white house if you, if you zoom in on her, on her Twitter post, uh, she actually wears a pair of ons. Well, some cool... I, I, I think Kamala Harris was wearing some Converse sneakers. The oh, yeah, day. on the so cover of definitely Vogue, some yeah. more cool, <laughs> cool shoes coming to the White House. That's a, that's a good trend for us. Uh, I, I, well, speaking of like kind of influential people, you've been partnering with Roger Federer recently. I saw that, uh, and that's pretty, uh, pretty big, <laughs> especially, I'm guessing, in, in, the, in the world uh, of Switzerland. Um, I, don't, I, I can't think of a more famous athlete than him. What, what, what has it been like? How did... Um, Roger Federer get involved in in your company. Well, when, when him and Nike parted ways, he had to wear shoes, um, and and he started buying <laughs> ons. Yes, um, you know, in Switzerland, we're, we're by far the number one. Uh, we're the market leader here, and his wife was already a fan. We knew that, and uh, and 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 we start, you know, p- p- pictures started popping up on social media where where he was wearing ons. Uh, everybody, everybody got super excited and Switzerland is a small place. So, you know, we knew someone that knew someone and, and we connect and we're basically, hey, Roger, you don't have to buy these, you know, how about we, we send you like the latest pair and, and we're super, you know, stoked if you, if you, if you're representing us. And, and, and over time, um, a friendship developed and basically he wanted, uh, to, to leave a legacy. First of all, he wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, that's like, you know, the, if you're a sponsored athlete, you know, people know that, that you're, you're, you're getting paid to endorse something and people are not stupid. So, you know, he, he was kind of thinking, okay, so after my, my career, how can I be the next level um, and, and no longer just be sponsored, but how can I be an entrepreneur? And then he has a, he has a love for sneakers. He's an absolute sneakerhead. He has, I don't know, well over two, three hundred pairs um, of, of sneakers. 
Um, and we started. And he's like, hey, look, I have all these ideas. And I was like, well, uh, why don't you come by the lab? And, and, and that's, that's how we get, got started. Of course, on being a, a pretty small company compared to Nike, um, we didn't have the funds to sponsor him. Um, so basically, I came up with the idea, hey, why don't you pay us? If we can't afford to pay you, you could pay us <laughs> and we, we'll give you some shares. Yeah. And, 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 and there we go. And, and he's really become a, a true partner. He spends a lot of time um, with us at the lab. He's, he always comes up with new ideas. And uh, it's, 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 it's been a fun ride for us. But um, I, I think he would agree. He's enjoying it a lot. And that, um, so you came up with a shoe with him. That one, it came out obviously like kind of a weird time because with COVID, you know, we haven't had as many competitions, but that shoe, is that meant for competition or is that, uh, I, I saw in a lot of places it said like tennis inspired <laughs> and I wasn't sure what that meant. You know, the, you know, the tennis sneaker and you, you talked about the, you know, like sneakers moving into the White House. I mean, outside of politicians right. and maybe some backward CEO types, nobody really wears leather shoes anymore, right? So the everybody is moving to sneakers just because of comfort. And the silhouette that's the most elegant is basically the white tennis sneaker. I mean, in many languages, sneakers is called a tennis shoe, right? Yeah, that's what people call it. What you have to understand that these sneakers, these, these retro tennis sneakers, these are basically shoes that were used 50 years ago for competition. Yeah. The most famous one being the Stan Smith by, by Adidas. And today they were, they were being worn as lifestyle products. Now, they might look really cool, but they are 50-year-old technology. So they're actually pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, when I watched the, uh, did you watch the Michael Jordan documentary that came out last course, year? Yeah. There was a whole section about that where he was wearing those old sneakers at, at one of the newer games. It was like, yeah, we're really missing out on some technology. I don't know how some of those guys played in those shoes. Right. So what we've set out to do together with Roger is how can we take this timeless silhouette, but infuse it with, infuse it with today's or tomorrow's technologies? Um, how can we make it much more sustainable? Um, how can we use leather that, that was never on a cow? Basically, you know, the Swiss, we're famous for our cows and milk and chocolate, but we like to keep the cows alive or not have, have them around at all uh, to save the planet. But mm-hmm. basically, that, that was the, the, the idea. And, and, and Roger... Of course, he is both a style icon as a person, but also the way he plays. He's very innovative. And, and, and we felt who, who else could reinvent the tennis sneaker than him? So, yes, you can play tennis in it, but more kind of like the, the tennis like it was played uh, a while ago. But it's, it's super comfortable to walk around in and, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, you, you will not take it off. Are you designing it? A- a performance shoe with him? What's what, what's he going to be wearing uh, when we get back to a full competition for tennis? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> okay, I see there's some, uh, you know, eye movements. I'm not going to... Okay, that's exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that's, I think, happening in the world right now, and, and actually Roger Federer has his own kind of like logo, that like that RF thing. Um, I think probably Michael Jordan was really the first person that I can think of who transcended like being a sponsored athlete to having his own brand where the brand became more important than the the Jordan brand became more important than Nike or you know whoever he might have been sponsoring and and now it seems like that's kind of becoming a little bit more democratic there's a lot more people who are 
you know, for whatever reason, if they're an athlete or they're famous somehow, taking that and using that not to be a spokesperson or making an endorsement, but to be a brand. And, and the manufacturer of the shoe almost becomes, or like the manufacturer of whatever it is here in the U.S., like everyone's got a tequila or mes- mezcal brand right now for some reason. <laughs> but the manufacturer becomes secondary to the brand of the person. And I wonder if that's a trend that you're you're seeing evolve. And and how does on fit into that? Because you are a brand as well. It, it's it's definitely happening. I mean, you got to give Nike and Jordan the credit for they they basically wrote the the book on sponsorship, right? And and, and what we're trying to do, uh, and you mentioned some examples, we're trying to rewrite that 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 rule book uh, where actually athletes can be their entrepreneurs. I mean, you get the same in in music and filmmaking. You know, people. Uh, creating their own labels, they want to control their creative product and their image as well. You know, so you're not as an athlete. You know, you, you know, if you come into you know big company um, and they're, they're showing you, okay, this is what you're gonna wear, this is your image, this is the ad campaign, and then you leave. You want to have real creative input. And 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 Roger, I'm not gonna disclose how much time he spends with us because his other sponsor would be really jealous. But I mean, he's giving us a lot of time, um, way more than he should have. He really feels it, it's, 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 it's his thing. It's, it's not just uh, an endorsement. I guess when you go beyond Roger and into other athletes and how they're making their decisions as far as sponsorships are concerned, do you see that model evolving more over time where there is this notion of sponsorship where the, the maybe for not the super top tier athletes, it makes a lot of sense for both parties because both benefit but sometimes it's almost as though the athlete becomes more important and then they become the owner of their own brand and the the shoe brand becomes more of the manufacturer do you see that becoming something when you think about other athletes in the future do you see on becoming more of a platform for other athletes to have their own unique kind of brand on top of it somehow yeah we, we'd love we'd love to to be that platform, um, you know, it doesn't have to be just athletes. It could be musicians. It could be could be artists. It could it could, could be many things. Um, right. Unfortunately, not a lot of athletes think that way. You know, there it's, mm. it's to give them some credit. I mean, being an athlete is is very tough. I mean, you you know, depending on what you do, you, you you'll end up training fifteen to twenty five hours a week. Um, you need to do all the recovery, physio, and so on. So there's not a lot of time left. To, to do uh, outside things outside, and you might not be that talented. Other areas, other sports, for example, the freestyle sports, I come from snowboarding. If you look at snowboarders, surfers, skateboarders, many of them put out their own edits. Right. They, they have, you know, huge followings. And, and if you already have, say, you know, the 50 million on Instagram that follow you or, or whatever the number might be, you have a huge platform from, from which to build. Yeah, I think that's that's fascinating. And I think especially in the footwear industry, because there's so much um, technology involved, like you you know, you were describing the the cloud technology, um, you know, the souls, like there's a little bit of also that like ingredient brand component to it where I was mentioning Vibram, for example. I mean Vibram at this point I think is much more famous for its souls than any of its shoes. And so I wonder if that becomes kind of a next step for some of these um, kind of that relationship where you have a highly technical product, but multiple different athletes could benefit from having, say, a cloud shoe rather than an on shoe, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
At the, at the very outset, uh, you know, that was one of the options that we would license cloud tech out to too many brands, similar to what Vibram does. Mm. Um, I see. The, and there was actually quite some interest from other brands to, to do that. At some point, you realize that, you know, I mean, basically our aunt's goal was always to, to become, to not just be a technology, but then be a product and then be a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we, we were at that stage where uh, today, actually, I, I was out on a run and, and I saw uh, about three people that were very on apparel, but not our shoes. Okay. You know, that, that would not have happened three, four years ago. You know, it was all about footwear, footwear, footwear. And on can be many things in the future. Maybe it can be services. Um, uh, hmm. uh, it doesn't even have to be something physical anymore. I want to jump into Cyclone because it, it's such a unique and interesting thing. And I think it fits so well into many of the themes of, of the podcast, which are kind of sustainability and also unique business models. Um, back, <laughs> I was like looking this up. I can't believe it was 2016. Episode six of this podcast was with Kevin Kelly, who's this just really incredible author and futurist. Um, we had a whole conversation about how in one of his uh, recent books, he was foreseeing the world of subscription becoming essential to almost every type of product that we own. He was writing about how furniture could become a subscription, and now we have furniture subscriptions um, just a few years later. But you've come up with a shoe subscription, and I think you know there are some other things... Uh, out there that have subscriptions for clothing, but this is a little different in the sense that this is a shoe that's never meant to be owned. It, it was never designed to be purchased, but always something that someone can only subscribe to. And it's it's launching this year. I guess did I do <laughs> did I do a good job explaining it? Just kind of what it is uh, subscription wise, and and how do you describe it in terms of you know what are your goals with it from a what is this shoe used for and what's the sustainability story? I think you did a pretty good uh, job, Stefan, <laughs> explaining it. <laughs> you know, when you, when you look at um, what we run in as runners, you know, we, you know as you run through, through LA, um, you know, you'll, you'll go past a lot of traffic and you'll feel superior. You're like, wow, I'm running, I'm breathing the fresh air, you guys are polluting, right? <laughs> If yeah. you're really, really self-critical, I mean, your shoes are made out of petrol. Yeah. Right. So you're you're basically burning through the same stuff as they are. So you know, if you really want to have better materials, don't deplete the planet's of its resources. Either you have to have materials that you can use over and over again, so you're you're not destroying it. You don't. It's not single use, and you throw it away, or you have to move away from from petrol-based resources anything with carbon in it but it's not that not that easy because you might go into um, plants that then compete with the food chain you don't want to do that either you can look at waste waste is a perfect source right with cyclone we 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 wanted to tap into a very old design concept called cradle to cradle it's about 40 years old basically the idea is that you're you're not designing a product to be used and then thrown away but you're designing it with reuse it with with recycling in mind. And one of the, the, the basic principles of cradle cradle or circularity is that you're using as few materials as possible. Because you know, if you think about a, a car or you think about a running shoe, an average pair of ons is made out of about a hundred different pieces and probably 10, 15 different chemical materials. So they, these are glued together 
they're stitched together, they're heat uh, welded together. So basically, we do everything that they will never fall apart, but we also do everything that, that, they're, that it's impossible to recycle them. With Cyclone, we're basically using one family of materials. Hmm. It's a polyamide. That, so a Cyclone, you, know, you, you can subscribe to it, it will ship you a pair, you use it, and whether you go through it in four months or seven months, as soon as you need a fresh pair, um, you let us know, um, you sent the shoe back, we wash, grind, and melt your shoe, and we make a new one out of it. And that's only possible because we're using this one family of materials, polyamide 11 and 12, that the whole shoe is made out of. So there's no disassembly? You're just kind of throwing it right into a grinder? <laughs> right. I mean, you've got to take them off first. You know, you don't want, you don't want to end <laughs> up in the grinder. No, choking aside. Now, coming back to your, to your, um, to your question, why can I not buy this product? Now, you know, on, on is standing on the shoulder of giants in, in terms of others have done similar concepts before us. Mostly just one shoe, like a design studio or Adidas has had the, the loop, um, which I think they made 300 pairs of. The problem is when we looked at the, at the Adidas loop case, I think of the 300 people, they gave them to influencers. Of the 300 people, only nine gave their shoe back. Hmm. So if you don't give the shoe back, you cannot recycle it. So we were like, okay, well, we have to like put a deposit on the shoe. You have to pay down 500 bucks. So yeah, you really give the shoe back. And then we were like, hey, well, how about you cannot, we truly cannot buy it. We, you can only have it as a subscription. Then, of course, you know, concepts like post-ownership, um, running as a service um, come up, which really, I think, fit, fit the, the zeitgeist. There's there's so many questions that I have for you. Like there's just kind of the design of the business model and the design of the shoe itself are so intertwined. I'm not exactly sure how to navigate it, but I want to ask just some basic questions on the business model first. So it's twenty nine dollars a month, right? And it but it doesn't matter how much I run. I'm always paying that amount, right? So how does how do you think about that in terms of the price point relative to? So if I'm running, you know. 10 miles every day, or if I run 10 miles a week, I'm paying the same amount. Was that a factor in your decision? Or how did you think about that price point and, and how it would fit in? Yeah, look, the ideally, you, you would adjust the, the subscription price to your mileage, right? Yeah. But then we just like simple solutions. And, and, and 29 bucks a month, you know, that's something like your Netflix or your Spotify um, or whatever subscriptions you might have. And basically, you know, the we're gonna we're gonna test and learn here. Basically, we also you know asked the on community, and uh, the people that are now subscribing to Cyclone, to come along with us on the ride, and we're, we're gonna learn a lot, you know, because we don't know whether a subscription model is something that consumers will want. I mean, we have a couple thousand that have signed up, even though it's 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 over uh, nine months out until the shoe uh, actually uh, will be shipped for the first time. But yeah, I mean, the, your question is the same one that we're getting on our Instagram and uh, the people that have already subscribed. But some will be like, well, mm-hmm. only need a fresh shoe every 12 months. And you'll have others that are like, well, I, I go through a pair of shoes every two months. I think we'll, we'll figure that out as we go, go along. And, and if somebody proves to us that he, has, he or her has uh, run, I don't know, uh, four or 500 miles in, in the shoe, we will definitely exchange it. So if you do the math, you know, if you, if you, if you buy two pairs of running shoes a year, they will cost you, including tax, maybe uh, 160 bucks each. So you're pretty much getting to where the cyclone price tag will get you. 
But with Cyclone, you're only using half the water, for example. Your, your CO2 footprint is, is maybe a third. Um, you're, you're, you're creating 90% less waste. Uh, I, think, I think that carries a, a certain emotional value that we feel that the people that are joining as innovators into, into the Cyclone subscription are probably um, happy to pay for. So if I am one of those kind of super users and I'm running every day, you had given it a rating of somewhere around 600 kilometers uh, as kind of like a benchmark for how far this shoe should go. What's the process if, you know, once I, I hit that or you mentioned kind of like proving to you that you've used it up, what, how do you return that shoe and get the new, you know, a, a new one? Yeah. First of all, I mean, we're we're in an exchange already now with the people that signed up for the subscription. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, they're super interested in what we're doing. So we're we're holding online seminars uh, the way they can ask questions on. So so, uh, you know, we're going to be in some sort of a digital exchange um, through your journey. Um, how, how you receive your box? And by the way, it, it arrives in a in, not in a box, but actually in a bag that can be used um, 50, 100 times over. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask you, so how do you, how, 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 what's your experience? And then as you, as you near maybe your five-month mark or so, we're going to be like, hey, you know, how does your shoe look like? Would you like to, to give it back and get a new one? Or is it still good? Consider the environment with your choice. I mean, as a culture, we're so much about newness and buying stuff and you know, going to the mall and shopping is a pastime. How has it come to this now? With Cyclone, one of the goals is that we want to slow this process down. So, you know, if the shoe is still good, yes, it's going to be really dirty because it's white. Right. But, um, you know, that I think that also is almost like a, a badge of honor. You know, you've actually put the miles in and, and it shows. Um, but if it's still good and you're, in, and you're happy with it, why give it back just so I have a new one? Yeah. Um, uh, maybe maybe half the people will will opt for every nine months, um, uh, and I think it will it will even out across the whole population. So when I am ready, it, it, you do this through the website somehow. Um, is is your plan? Um, I I understand like a lot of this is sort of still TBD because what I like about your approach is you know your the fact that you've put it out there so far in advance I think leaves open the room for the dialogue about like well how does this even work and I think it's a really interesting kind of community experiment to figure out is there something here that works better than the standard model but presumably you have some sort of like hypothesis or like all right well let's try this first and see how this works you mentioned a little bit about your expectation about maybe it's like five to nine months or something like that but um once someone kind of runs through their first shoe like what do they do they they they're going to get the other shoe back and then it comes in a box and they're using that box to return the 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 original shoe back to you Exactly. A key thing is we want to keep you running. So basically, you, you're never going to be without the shoe. So, you know, once it is, you, you let us know that you want to return it, we ship you a new pair. Yeah. And you use that same bag slash box that you get to return your old one. Mm-hmm. The, the good thing, and, and, you know, when you look at how much of a, of a footprint you, you have as a consumer, people think of, of like shipping stuff as a bad thing. It actually almost has no impact. If you look at the whole value chain, it's less than half a percent is all of the transportation. Now, think of all the um, the Amazon packages that are get, are getting shipped uh, to your neighborhood. All these trucks are, are driving back empty. So basically, your shoe will be in that empty truck going back uh, to the warehouse where we collect them 
And once we have a, a container full, maybe 2,000 pairs, we'll ship them to the recycler uh, by sea um, where, where they're washed, grinded, melted, pellets will be created, and then we make a, a new product out of it. Let's go into that part of the, the journey a little bit. So you mentioned washing. I thought it was interesting that you decided to make the shoe white to begin with, because I think that that is, you know, it has its own challenges if you're trying to use, uh, reuse the material. What is the proportion of material that is, you know, recycled? And is it being recycled to go into the same shoe or is it being used for other materials? 100% will be recycled. And 100% will go into a new shoe. What you need for some of the chemical processes, you always need a little bit of virtue material. Yeah. So, you know, if you have, uh, you know, 10 shoes, maybe, um, you know, you, you need to add a little bit. So 10 shoes become maybe 12 shoes because you add some virtue, some virtue materials. Now, the good news is the polyamide that, that we're using actually comes from, from, from a tree. It's made out of a bean, so it doesn't come from petrol. Um, so it's, 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 it's plant-based. It's not part of the food chain and pe- uh, castor beans. I don't know whether you're aware, but those were actually pretty popular in the seventies when during the oil crisis. Hmm. So, you know, you can use it as, 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 as fuel or for heating or, or what have you. And, and the castor beans that on is using, they actually grow in very arid areas of India. They're organic farming. They almost need no water. Um, they don't compete with anything because it's pretty much the only thing that grows there. So we, we, we think it's a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty good hack that, that we found. And, and trust me, we've, we've been through many, many iterations of this. Um, and, and literally at the 11th hour, um, we, we, we found this material, um, and, and everything fell into place. Tell me a, a little bit about kind of how does recycling affect the performance? I think that's probably something that people might wonder in terms of, you know, I don't know how you're thinking about, um, <laughs> I'm sure there's all kinds of technical terms for this about like the, ba- the, the kind of elasticity of, you know, the polymer, but also just kind of like, how does it feel on my foot after it's been through? Because the first batch is going to be all virgin material, right? It's not, it's not coming from recycled stock. So it's, it's only going to be, and, and then you're also presumably going to be growing. So there's going to be a lot of new shoes that need to be made from scratch before we start having some of the old shoes come back into the flow. Have you tried testing this somehow and like have it, have it go a few cycles through? Like how many cycles have, have you been able to put on them? We, we have. Um, right now we're shooting for about eight cycles. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is, this is like the way you phrase the question, that's like old consumer thinking. You know, like we're so used to that something that's recycled is of worse quality. And it doesn't have to be. Are you able to improve like the bounciness of it somehow or, or like the performance characteristics through recycling? This is, this is a, a core thing. You know, On is a performance company first and foremost. So we will never yeah. make anything that's not performance. So basically through the process, um, through grinding and melting it and making new pellets, basically you go, you go down to the chemical molecular level. Mm-hmm. So your new cyclone is just as good as your first one. So it's not like we're, you know, we're, we're, we're um, just kind of using it and then we're, 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 we're putting it together somehow. But um, we're, we're creating all these, you know, in, 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 um, in polymers, you have all these elastic chains of materials that are intersected. And we're basically recreating that, pro- that process um, after we've recycled the material. So uh, you cannot tell that chemically, you cannot tell the difference between 
the first cyclone and the second and the eighth. Got it. Okay. That, I, I am not super familiar with the castor bean kind of polyamide, but I think it, that issue does come up a lot with various materials, especially if you're trying to preserve certain properties, like um, let's say, you know, making the plastic trans, transparent, for example. Yeah. And, and that's why I was asking about it being white. I don't know if it's dyed. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's why it is white. You know, imagine if we had right. red and green and blue, blue shoes and we, we, we grind them and we melt them together you'd end up with a, mm. a pretty ugly brown, uh, blackish color, right? So white is the kind of uh, natural state of that material, is what you're saying? Yeah, we like to, to say, well, you can have it in any color as long as it is white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, luckily, you know, in sneaker, white is, is a really, really uh, hot color. Uh, it's been for many years. And it's probably, it's probably going to be, be around. And, and in running shoes, typically, you want to have a little bit of a lighter color, um, because dark shoes, they feel and look slower because dark means heavy. So, you know, all our, our pro athletes, they want very light shoes, I mean, light, light colored shoes because they mentally think it makes them faster. Now, maybe one thing I, I would like to point out, you know, when I, I mentioned how we literally came upon this polyamide material in the 11th hour, we, we kind of went down many tensions and, 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 and we, we, we failed to some degree to, to really make a, a performant foam. And then at the, in parallel, we were working on our racing shoe for the marathon at the Tokyo Olympics, um, which hopefully will take place this summer. And we're using an ultralight foam there um, and, a new, and the new foaming technology called super foaming. And the engineers working on that product talked to the guys working on Cyclone and they're like, well, you're also using polyamide. And they're like, what? And so basically they joined forces. So Ons most sustainable shoe is actually featuring Ons fastest, lightest, most performant foam. And I was, I mean, you can tell from how, how I'm telling the story. Um, that was the breakthrough. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm like, really? Um, and, and I mean, there, there's a lot of luck involved in this as well. Um, but it just goes, goes to, to say that a sustainable material doesn't have to be non-performant. No, I agree. I, I'm, I'm on that crusade every day. I, I think the opposite actually is true many times. I, I'm curious, are you always kind of uh, manufacturing these materials from, from scratch? Like the foam, it sounds like you're producing these foams um, in-house with all of the different components, the, the laces, the, you know, the upper, all of those pieces. Were you able to get uh, some of those materials off the shelf in rolls or anything like that? Or do you have to produce all of those materials from scratch from from the uh from the castor bean yeah so so this time around this is this is a pretty complex uh, uh project and 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 unfortunately the the supply chain on many things sustainable isn't there so you know you'll, you'll talk to a scientist and they'll be like yeah chemically it's possible but the supply chain doesn't exist and, and with cyclone it was, it was very similar um to, to to give you an idea for how complex this project was we're using one has, had never done a shoe out of polyamide before. And, and it's not just the, the outsole, you know, the foam, but um, we've never done a knit upper. Uh, so we had to create the fibers to then make the threads to then knit the, the, the upper. We had to create that process. Um, we're using a new foaming technology called super foaming on machinery that we have never used in a factory that we have never used. We had to find a recycler, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty embarrassing for our industry, but there's literally one recycler that can do this globally. Imagine how many sneakers are out there. 
And um, what made things worse, with the subscription model, we also created a new business model. Now our ERP cannot handle subscriptions. Right. It's not that straightforward, right? Because uh, you know, what ERP are you on, by the way? SAP? No, we're actually we're just we're just switching to to Microsoft. Then. Okay, good. And uh, they, they, yeah, they can actually they can actually do it. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, basically, this was the most complex pro- project, and I think we we only pulled it off first of all because us founders we we, we fully believed in it. And 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 basically gave everybody the green light. Yeah. But also because we are a small company and and and, and things are still possible in a in a traditional company that that answers to shareholders, it would have been like, are you guys crazy? What are you doing? You know, there's so many risks. But I must say, we were also a bit uncomfortable. You know, we're the Swiss were very much about quality, so we like to have a product perfect before we show it. Mm-hmm. This time around, we went out pretty much, you know, a little bit inspired maybe by by Elon Musk's. Basically, okay, this is what we maybe could build in a year. Are you coming along for the journey? And will you forgive us if if not everything's perfect? So, if, you know, for a Swiss um, company, that's a little bit of a of a scary uh, process. So, how many components? I don't know if that's a good question, but how many components are in the shoe that you're assembling? And are they glued, or how do they come together? Very, very few. So, a typical on product has about a hundred uh, pieces or components. Um, Cyclone is five or six, and and most of it is 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 basically we, we just slightly mm. melt the material with heat, so then they basically they 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 stick together. But this is now um, where I think the the design team was at first really challenged, but now sees the beauty of it. Basically, working with just one material can be a constraint from a designer's point of view. I mean, there's a classic uh, Swiss story about uh, Swatch, you know, and how they kind of, I forget, I'm trying to figure out if I can find it here, but what the whole kind of like idea of Swatch was, can we take a Swiss uh, watch and reduce it from 100 components to 30 or something? I don't know what the real numbers were, but it was something along those lines. Yeah, and I mean, it saved the whole watch industry in Switzerland. My, my dad actually produced the machinery that the first Swatches made, made, were made on. That's amazing. Wait, so you, so what was your what was your father doing? He, yeah, so he was also an entrepreneur, um, and and he produced um, um, in, injection molding machines uh, for very high precision uh, injection molding. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing. Do, do you think there, there's a there's a relationship in terms of like culturally about uh, you know the this these two stories? Was it something that came up at all? My, my dream is, of course, to to at some point make shoes in Switzerland. And, mm. and, and, and I mean, given you, know, you mentioned the Swatch story, I mean, Switzerland is so such an advanced economy and labor is so expensive. You can only do it if, if you can automate. Right. To automate, you have to reduce parts. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of at the moment in time now where the Asian countries, you know, that uh, that manufacture most of, of footwear and textiles, their standard of living, their wages and so on, their um coming up so quickly right. that labor costs are going to change. Yeah. So already now, I think we're, we're at the point where we're actually more automation and moving production closer to where consumers are. So to the U.S. Um, or to parts of Europe could actually be viable. I want to. I, I just want to keep digging in on the supply chain. So what? So you said the, the, the beans are sourced from India. Like, how does it arrive in the factory? And then what 
kind of steps does it go through to kind of, because you've got the foam, we kind of t- talked a little bit about that, that you've got the knitting. What's the raw material in the entry point to that? So, so for, you know, for castor beans, that process from castor beans to basically fuel that already exists okay. because of the oil crisis. Um, and, and, you know, the petrochemical industry, you know, there's many bad things you can say about them, but, you know, once they get going and they do it at scale, it's, it becomes very efficient. So basically anything that is fuel, you can turn into plastics to, 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 to make that very simple. So basically we're working with a French company called Arkema that, um, that uh, have been our development partner for this. Um, and, and basically they're, they're getting uh, the, 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 the castor bean and it, it, it's basically a, an oil. It's, it's, a, it's a transparent liquid. And then they're putting that into pellets um, and that is then shipped and, 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 and turned into, into the foam or the thread or whatever it is. Once we've recycled the, the product, they're then again um, turning it into pellets that can be again made into, into plastics. Were there so any challenges in terms of like because a foam versus a um, you know a knit kind of material you know those are two very different applications of the same material. Were you able to collaborate with you know some of these companies to come up with these materials, or were you you know was that all like new innovations that you had to start from scratch? As I said earlier, the problem is that you have these innovation steps, and you can usually do it at small scale in the lab. Mm-hmm. Or you can do it at very large scale. And, and, and the problem is to find a partner that can do like the mid-scale. So, you know, a couple, 10,000, 100,000, a million pairs of shoes. If you look at the, the grand scheme of things, if you look at Dow Chemicals or, or BASF or any of these giants, a million pairs of shoes is nothing. You know, that's like a couple hours of, of their machinery running. And their machines are, are, are designed to run for, for years without ever stopping. So that that's a little bit the problem. So we were super happy to work with Akima. That, that helped us in this process. Now, of course, what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to inspire others to, to do similar things. So we're also not saying, okay, well, this, this technology is just ons. We're opening it up to, to the whole market for other shoe manufacturers or whoever, you know, if you, if you look at uh, where, where foams are used, you have it in the car industry, um, uh, aerospace, mattresses. Um, there are many, many applications for this. Yeah, and I think that's so important because I think it's it's one of those kind of hot button issues that come up where sustainability, if it starts to be seen as a competitive advantage and, and people companies start to think of it as a proprietary thing, and not only is it just kind of bad for our broader goals as the world, but also, you know, it's not necessarily self-serving because for you as a shoe company, if you want to kind of optimize the costs of the supply chain and try to make it more widely available. I mean, that if this process were more widely available, it would make things a lot easier for you to kind of take this and, you know, develop new product lines beyond this one shoe, perhaps make other products. Like it would only help if other manufacturers could, or shoe brands or other apparel, or like you said, other industries could take advantage of it. How do you think about kind of like open sourcing those ideas? Like what's your process there in, in terms of like communicate, communicating about this within the industry? No, absolutely. I think trying to patent stuff like that and, and keep it to yourself would be completely beyond the point. And, and I think the companies that have done that, um, they're realizing that and they're probably going to get consumer backlashes um, because what, what, what's the point of creating something that could save the planet, but then not, not giving it to others. So for on, I mean, we're, we're driven by innovation and we probably have the, the, by far the biggest innovation budget of all, of all the, the, the footwear brands 
you just want to be faster in, in innovating. Um, and you don't have to look very far. I mean, if you look at the tech industry, a lot of them are, they don't even bother with patents anymore because uh, they will be copied anyway. There will be ways around the patents. So they just move faster. And, uh, you know, when you look, for example, at battery technolo- technologies, it's, it's, it's very similar. In, in our case, it's, it's not just that we, we, we want to pass the, the know-how on, but we actually need to build the, these supply chains that don't exist yet. And, and who would, which company would co-invest with us if it was only for a couple million pairs um, of shoes? Uh, and what are other uh, applications? So, I mean, I must I really give the, 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 this whole petrochemical industry um, quite some some credit. Um, they usually they're only uh, bashed on, but they're actually very innovative, and they're they're seeing the writing on the wall. And many of them actually um, came to us and said, "Hey, look, um, when we want to develop new materials, they basically say like, hey, can we build in the recycling?" Because they are, they are aware if they're not starting that process, the regulators, the governments will step in and, and maybe 10 years from now, you cannot put virgin plastic on the market without taking it back. You've created so many challenges for yourself with this um, product. I'm curious if you, could, <laughs> if you could ask your future self, like ask Casper from two or three years from now, a question what would it be <laughs> are there things that you you have like you're just like i have no idea how this is gonna go like i wish i had a little bit more uh, to work off of yeah well hopefully um uh, you know i'll look back and be like well, grateful for for the people that that were along on the journey uh, and and didn't judge us um and 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 took some risk and you know in in, in a way it, it reminds me of when we started on 11 years ago i mean our first products were far from perfect. I mean, I remember the first batch of shoes, they felt great. They did look so great, but I would say maybe 10 to 15% had the, the outsole break, you know, before the end of the lifespan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember one run uh, where I came back and I, you know, it was kind of like, uh, I must have run through the earth or something. I, I wiped my feet on the doormat. And as I looked down, like two or three of the cloud elements were laying, lying there, you know, that was like, total standard in the early days. And we had early adopters of the technology that, you know, even their third pair had to be replaced as a warranty case. They were writing to us, hey, please don't give up, you know, continue to make the product better. We want to use this technology. And and hopefully with cycling, it's not going to be that painful. But, um, you know, we, I think we're, we're in this, we're in this together. Um, And, uh, and it, it just takes a lot of resilience. And I, uh, you know, I really want to give a shout out to our innovation team. I mean, they go down an avenue and then, you know, they hit the dead end and they have to start over. Um, I mean, they, they just never give up. Yeah, there's like the design of the shoe. Can we make this shoe comfortable and like durable enough for our goals? Can we manufacture this at scale? And like, if this becomes popular, will will this whole thing, this whole supply chain, be able to scale? Can we, you know, recycle this at scale? Can we, you know, produce this at scale? We've got the business model. Like, will people understand what we're even talking about with a shoe subscription? Like, does it even make sense to people? Maybe there's like another thing that I forgot. But you know, is there one of those things that to to you is like the most? The biggest question mark, like which, wh- 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 where is the the area that you feel like? Maybe you feel like, hey, yeah, we're using this material for the first time, but I think that this is like, we know what makes a comfortable shoe, we know what makes a durable shoe now, so we can figure that part out. Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, the 
for me, the biggest challenges are actually less on the technical side because technically you can solve everything mm-hmm. and our team has gotten really good. I mean, for example, I'll just give you an example. We're, we're working on a, on a new material that, you know, again, there's no, it's not petrol based. And again, there's no supply chain. Um, and the team will like, team like, well, we sort, you know, we have like five different partners in the supply chain and we found four and now we're, we're, we're looking for someone that can do this at our scale. And then they'll be like, well, we found someone in Azerbaijan that can do it, you know, Champagne, you hate, and then, you know, they contact them and they still can't do it, but they will know someone else. We can solve all these technical problems. What we don't know is how consumers will react and how quickly they will change their ways. Right. So maybe the subscription is not the big, the best idea. So we'll adapt and we'll change that. Similar to, I mean, I, I drive an electric car. I don't know whether you drive an electric car, but just from a consumer point of view, even many friends around me, they're like, I really like how the car performs, but once a year I drive to Sicily to visit my family there and it's 1,200 kilometers. I'm still going to buy a petrol-based car because I don't want to stop that often, right? So it's like this, these old habits that get in the way of innovation. Um, and let, let's see. I mean, you know, if we, maybe we, we catch up a year from now, I'll be able to tell you um, whether uh, the subscription actually worked. Well, I think the subscription, why I'm, you know, why it seems essential is that it seems like the the only way to really incentivize people to send the shoe back. It feels like that's the, the kind of one of the biggest drivers because you could make a shoe like this that's made all out of renewable materials, but then how do you bring them back into the manufacturing process seems like the biggest challenge because we don't. I mean, maybe someday there will be kind of uh, a flow for all of these uh, waste streams to come back to the right place, but we're not there yet on the recovery side. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's, you know, maybe it's because I'm, I'm an economist by training, but I, I did my PhD in consumer psychology. So how do you create incentives that make it exciting to give something back? Yeah. I think that's that's one of the, 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 the pieces that we have to solve. So, um, you know, at Onward, we very much believe that we're only going to innovate our way out of this um, this 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 uh, challenge that our generation has dealt, and we've pretty much used up the resources of the planet. Um, and I don't think humans are going to change. Um, they will always want more and better and faster, and it's it's just human nature. So, how do you find smart ways of of, of reshaping the economic processes around? that actually make it fun to to live sustainably. Let's say that um, the Cyclone shoe is is great success. Everybody loves it in every possible way. The business model works. What what do you hope, you know, 10, 20 years from now, it the industry, like what does the success look like to you beyond on success in this? Look, hopefully it will feel really weird to throw a product away. Because there, you know, people realize that the materials still have value; they hold value. And, and, and maybe I'll give you an example. When when I kicked off the Cyclone project, that was all about reusing the raw material. I asked everybody uh, around the table to give me their jewelry. Mm-hmm. So we had a whole whole bag of of, of gold stuff on, on silver stuff on the table, and we had all the pellets that we make our shoes out of. And then, as I cleaned up the table, I threw away all the pellets into the trash bin. Nothing happened. Then I threw the, all the jewelry into the trash bin and everybody went crazy. You know, they're getting mad at me. 
And I was like, well, it's the same thing. You know, we're basically throwing away a perfectly good material mm-hmm. that could, could be reused and has value. So maybe, you know, if 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 future generations look back at, at our period and 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 see how wasteful we were, they're gonna be like, oh, this is crazy. Like how we look back at 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 uh, you know, some of the dark periods. Like like slavery, like like certain wars, like famines. People just maybe didn't know better or didn't want to know better. What's missing that's outside of on that you really wish existed in the world, whether it's like the supply chain, the recovery side. You talked a little bit about wishing you could, you know, make these shoes in Switzerland. Like what would it take kind of infrastructure wise to 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 get to that place that you're describing? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of additive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we do a lot of 3D printing here in in in, in many ways. Mm. It just takes way too long. It's very slow still. Is that is that how you're doing the knitting or no? Because I no. I've seen, okay no. Right. no that's a that's a conventional method. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty much from every fiber you can spin a yarn and then uh, and then you go from there. Yeah. Right. So, but at some point, yeah, additive manufacturing. If you could take the the raw like resin or something and turn it into a shoe. But we're not there yet in terms of the performance of those materials uh, or something like that. I think performance is getting close, but it, you know, basically to print a shoe takes you like uh, twelve hours. Yeah. Versus, you know, in twelve hours, you know, if you use um, injection molding um, and, and other manufacturing methods, you can you can make a thousand pairs. <laughs> I don't think that that. I don't know. I hate to say I don't think it's possible to solve that, but I think it's really difficult because like by definition, that's what tooling does best. Like tooling is always seems like it's going to have an advantage in that area. The thing that comes the closest is maybe like the I don't know if you know indigo, um, the indigo printing. Like that's something that's like probably the most like if you could take that not that so indigo printing basically like kind of is the best of both worlds like it's a digital printer that's basically making printing plates on the fly if you could take that kind of like philosophy and apply it to other forms of manufacturing how could you do that how could you make the tooling on the fly so fast um for injection molding and other things like that all things supply chain i mean the more locally you can produce uh, the better i think we're getting there now with energy you know we're, we're you know we used to have these big power power plants and all these lines um and it was pretty inefficient now you have all these these more local decentralized uh, means let's 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 see uh, where 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 that is going you know, i think we're going to move away from scale and have it more decentral it's also a little bit of a risk perspective, which you know, this this past twelve months, the pandemic has really shown us that to to have everything in one place um, is maybe not the best idea. Well, and and I think one of the challenges that the pandemic has shown is just kind of the the fact that a lot of companies have really moved away from vertical integration and and really outsourced so many things makes it a lot dif- more difficult for them in case you know something goes wrong in their supply chain. You mentioned Elon Musk; like they have really kind of with Tesla and I think also SpaceX, like they're really just like bringing in <laughs> like raw steel and aluminum and things right into the factory and, and making a lot of things from scratch in there, um, which is kind of an interesting reversal of where the industry, the manufacturing industry has been going for the past 20 years. I don't know if that's something that you ever think of. Like right now you're working, the, the factories that produce your shoes are not owned by your company at this point, right? No, most of them are in Vietnam and, and, and they also manufacture for other brands. Yeah. Which of course if you're you know you're starting a company and basically we were interested in making the running experience uh, better, less painful. Yeah. 
you know, we we never thought of ourselves as manufacturers. Mm. You know, that that only came with scale. And of course, now these, these current challenges, we're, we're asking all the questions that you mentioned. We're asking them, of course, um, and we're seeing uh, whether we can find to to actually diversify and maybe actually even uh, virtually integrate some of, some of our supply chain. So if people want to learn more about Cyclon, where should they go? And, and what can they do today if they want to be one of your like early beta tester type of people? So they should just go to onrunning.com and they will find Cyclone there. Um, and you know you can subscribe today um, and you can be a pioneer. You can be part of something that might or might not tra- you know, transform the, the running industry. Um, the sooner you sign up, the sooner you're going to get your, your, your shoe. Basically, the, by the order that people sign up, we're going to send out the first pairs. Um, we just actually received the latest prototypes. Uh, it's a really, really fun shoe to run in. It's our lightest uh, shoe that we ever made. It's super bouncy. And if you sign up now, it'll probably be at your doorstep in September. All right. I'm going to sign up now. I got to do that. I haven't signed up yet. I want to try it out. Anything else you want to point people to if they want to, you know, explore your your background or anything? I, I know that you've got some good uh, stuff on your website about sustainability. If people want to explore more, any other links that we should send people to? Uh, you know, hopefully some people are inspired to to start their own companies and 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 start them to, you know, with a with a view of of, of changing something. You know, whether it's uh, getting people away from pain in running or or making the the world a better place. Um, uh, hopefully, people are inspired by by startup stories, and and there's a lot of uh, stuff on our website on how we started on, and some 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 pictures from the from the early days. Uh, whenever I look at, at companies, uh, that that's the most inspiring uh, part for me. Well, thanks, Casper. Um, this has been really amazing. I, I'm super curious to see how it goes. I want to try it out myself. I I think it's a really fascinating new business model and I, I, I hope that people jump onto it and that other people take this idea and run with it as well. Thanks for the conversation, Stefan. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad, want to hear your constructive criticisms, I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.